and we had a cuddle corner. This is Tall Can Audio. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. Matt Robinson along with you here today. Uh, we are on social media at Tall Can Audio. You can give us a follow there on your favorite platform and make sure you are subscribed to the pod wherever you're hearing me right now. Uh, great show today. We're going to talk to Cheryl Pounder, one of our favorite guests, someone absolutely on the up-and-come in the broadcasting industry. And when I say that, I guess it might be a little bit uh, underselling it. She has arrived very popular and, and great at what she does. So really happy to have her today. Just before we get to her, though, I want to uh, give a shout out to Ian Mendez, Jason York, and Brent Wallace, who put on a terrific event on Tuesday night at uh, the West End location of Yuck Yucks, um, a fundraiser for, for lung cancer research and treatment. Um, it was really, really good. And I, I had a feeling it would be, I, I knew there'd be, you know, it was advertised to, to tell some stories from behind the scenes and stuff like that. And it was going to be a panel of the three of them. And man, it was just terrific. And they kicked it off actually with Ian doing kind of a monologue, a bit of a stand up of his own. And, um, he, he did it in a really interesting way. Kind of gave us five dates in his personal life that obviously correspond with his career and what he's been covering. Um, and then put kind of a, uh, a fun spin on these five dates that were crucial, like I said, it, to his life and, and to his career. And it was obviously, it was really personal. A lot of the stuff that he talked about, but he always, you know, he'd find a way to slide in a joke here or there, make you laugh about it. So, uh, that was really well done. And then they moved into like a panel format with, uh, with Jason York and with, uh, Brent, uh, Brent Wallace. So really good. And they're cracking fun. And if you knew anything about the senators and the behind the scenes stuff, it, it was obviously all themed around that. And although Jason York told some stories about uh, different places that he'd played and coaches he'd played for, which was also terrific, but you know, just, you know, really well done. And for a good cause, um, not always easy to stand up. Like people think when you're a broadcaster or whatever, that, you know, you're comfortable talking in front of a crowd. Well, you're usually doing it on a microphone in a studio or just looking at a camera. It's very different when you're in an environment, you know, like a comedy club and there's 150, 200 people sitting there looking back at you, waiting for you to say something funny, make me laugh. Right. And so it's, it can be tough. And these guys pulled it off really well. Um, had an awesome time. Was glad that, uh, that I went and checked that out. Um, and there were more, like, there was a moment where Brent Wallace, was telling a story and, uh, he looks at Ian and he goes, am I giving enough info? Like, do you think they're getting it? And Ian kind of looked back and I'm like, I think you've probably said too much. So, um, you know, just a good time. And so shout out to those guys, uh, for putting on a, a really great event out at, uh, Yuck Yucks, Ottawa West. It's called hockey night at Yuck Yucks. They've done this once before. I'm not sure how often they're going to do it, but I would suggest if you see it online, uh, if you see an ad for it somewhere, somebody mentions it to you and you're into kind of these behind the scenes stories from around the Ottawa senators and, and these three guys are going to be doing it, get yourself a ticket. We had a really good time, but shout out to those guys for putting on a great event for a great cause and doing an awesome job with it. With all that out of the way, let's get to our guest today. An Olympic champion turned hockey broadcaster, Cheryl Pounder returns to the show. Uh, thank you for making the time, Cheryl. How are you today? 
I'm good. I'm good. A whole week off with the all-star break. So I'm staring at my house, just wondering what I'm going to do next. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's great to have a little bit of a break. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a very busy season, but of course, loving it. It's hockey. So uh, I feel like I've got a dream job. Well, we had your, uh, your partner there, Kenzie Lalonde, on the show last week. And uh, I asked her this question too. So I want to ask it to you. I'm curious because you were doing the panels there for the World Juniors and then coming off that it was women's U18 while the, the PWHL was firing up. I'm curious, have you ever had a run quite like that one? Like it seemed like every time I turned on my TV, you were sitting there. You know, I would tell you that the the only other time that I can recall where it was just mayhem in terms of scheduling was... My first World Junior Championship was in the summer, that uh, postponed or delayed championship to the summer. And I got home and left a day later to go to Denmark for the Women's Worlds, which had been postponed. So because of the travel with that one, um, that was pretty busy. But this one, I think, takes the cake because... We did every game, or I was uh, fortunate to do every game with James and Bob uh, in Canada's pool and then into the prelims, or sorry, into the playoff round with the World Juniors. But because the PW fired up, uh, I was asked to do the broadcast on January 1st, which was our day off at World Juniors <laughs> to do that. So so then that was amazing to be a part of that as, as a first ever, kind of a surreal moment for me. So, of course, that was a no-brainer. And then right back into World Juniors and the day after World Juniors finished, uh, Kenzie and I went into the U18 call. And I can honestly tell you, Matt, I have never, nor Kenzie, called four games in a day at the end (laughs) of the run. So never had we done four games in a row. uh, And then to do it at the end of that run was incredibly, I don't know how to put it into words. Kenzie went out and bought us robes and slippers. And we had a cuddle corner, so (laughs) the producer would come in and knock and see that the lights were out for 10 minutes between games, (laughs) that we were just trying to defuzz our eyes. Or when we went to the cafeteria to get food and we were walking in our robes and slippers, kind of holding on to one another, I think people were kind of like, who who are they? (laughs) So we had fun with it. We had to have fun with it. Um, And the U18s were fabulous for the women as well. So I'm curious, and again, and we'll move on to other things here for the sake of the good listener, but they know that I'm as much of a broadcast nerd as I am a sports nerd. So I got like, I'm sure you, you were familiar with the names of everybody you were talking about. You can sit down the night before and, you know, here's who's coming up at the World Juniors. Here's who's coming up in the PWHL today, these sorts of things. But half of the things that make these broadcasts good is the context you bring, like the stories behind it, where they might be playing, who's playing against a teammate, these sorts of little things like that. While you have three major events like this all just bang, 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 how do you find the time? How do you prepare? Are you looking ahead from one while still doing the other? Like, how do you get yourself set for doing so much all at once? Well, I think the biggest thing is is preparing early. Uh, so for the World Juniors, of course, we knew in early December what that might that shape would look like you had an idea so you start working on that the panel's a little bit different too than being in the broadcast booth uh, because when you're on the call you're talking for two and a half hours straight right. so you don't have the the um time 
sort of between a periods in a period to be able to look up information. So for a world junior, for a panel, there is some time where you're on a panel um, and a player does something where you can and have the time to sort of do a little bit more even while you're working. But once you're on the call, there's much less of it. So the problem with double IHF tournaments is a lot of the time those rosters, those set rosters don't actually go in uh, until often just a few days before. Right, yeah. So now you're in the heart of the tournament and you know you've worked on your first few games and now you're heading right in so certainly when you're done your broadcast of the day you don't just stop and that's where you know it can be difficult at times when you have multiple game days you know you need you i always say i need my glass of wine to just kind of chill and just (laughs) you know i get home and relax but for me you know then you're going right back into it you're getting right back on your computer you're trying to dive into some of the nuggets on some of these young players to find something that the viewer might be interested in. And that's even more difficult when you're talking about players that really aren't recognizable or visible. So there's not a lot on them. Mm-hmm. And so unless you're in the venue where you can talk to a coach or talk to the, the athlete on your own, it becomes much more difficult. There's no, there's no question about it. And that's the tough thing about being at a world championship when you're doing multiple games a day, you know, you're not going to practice anymore right? Yeah. You're on the call. So you're not getting those other tidbits of information that you would, you would certainly like to use. I'm curious then, like uh, when I look at, at, at hockey Twitter, which is someplace, sometimes a dangerous place to be, but <laughs> when I, when I hang out there too much and I do, I, I'm not in your Twitter mentions necessarily, but like, it feels like you have been, you know, I was going to use the word universally. And again, I'm not in your, but like, you seem to be someone who is almost unanimously popular across hockey Twitter for the job that you're you're doing, and I'm sure everyone has a couple of naysayers here and there who pop oh, up. We and got are, some, yeah, and who are assholes <laughs> or whatever that's going to look like. But I'm not sure I've ever seen someone who is, you know, quite this uh, agreed upon as like already one of the best. And you really haven't been doing this very long. Like, do you? Do you feel that like uh, when you are sitting down to a broadcast or when you check your Twitter, like, does it feel to you like you're you're as supported or maybe getting um, I, I guess support is the word like people being really big fans of what you're doing? Are you feeling that as you go ahead? And, and, and how how early on did you start to feel that if you did at all? Well, the beginning, I was like, do I even look? Do I right. even look? Uh, you know, because it's, it's hard, right? Anytime you enter this world and you know that you're going to be, you're under a scrutinized eye, no question about it. And, and everyone has a different take. Everyone has a different take on, you know, a play or perhaps a player mm-hmm. uh, opinion. So I, I certainly recognize that. I think that I've tried to authentically be myself. And in that, I like to break down play. Um, you know, I know I've had conversations with many of my producers, whether I overdo it in that department or whether, you know, I got to, you know, start to work on other elements of my, my analysis, but certainly I do feel, you know, you always feel when, you know, you're coming off a broadcast and, and there's been people, I think people that you, you trust that give you props. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, you know, you're always going to have the flighty comments, uh, about your work. And, and so for me, it comes back to who, who you trust in the business. Um, and, and when it's coming from a valued place like that, then you certainly, you're like, yeah, that's great. And then you also have the ones where you're like, oh man, oh, that sucks. (laughs) You know? So, but you try not to, 
weigh into it too much um, because, you know, you do what you do. But certainly anytime, anytime you, you're getting a compliment for, for a broadcast or the work you've done, certainly, you know, you, you feel it. Right. But again, at the end of the day, it's when it comes from your peers or when it comes from you know, you know, people that, you know, personally that, that know the game really well. I think that goes places as well, but it certainly it's, it's always nice. And I came back to Ottawa for the PWHL game last Wednesday and it was just nice because you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not really in tune a lot and out there in the buildings. And so sometimes you're not even really aware that people watch your work. And so all of a sudden you're walking, you're like, Hey, I really like that comment you made the other day. And you're like, Oh, well, thanks for watching, man. Because it's, it's like that once you're in it, you don't, you don't really know who's watching, if that makes sense. Like when we won the Olympic gold in 02, I got off the plane at the airport. I had no idea anyone watched the game, you know, like <laughs> again, because you're in, you're in your moment, but yeah, it's, it's always nice, certainly. But you know, for me, uh, my big thing with my work is to continue to prepare and to continue to work and, and hone in and become better every opportunity I get. And I've got amazing people around me that certainly, certainly help. You think about the Craig Buttons and the Dave Poolins of the world. I mean, I could go on and on and on about um, just the people around me that have certainly helped me um, as I've transitioned into the NHL. You know, you and this wasn't on the agenda. I didn't mean to ask you about this, but you brought it up there. That O two Olympic gold medal game. I told somebody yesterday that I was having you on the on the show, and they were like, "Oh man, that that gold medal game where the Americans had all those power plays." Like you played a lot of hockey. Have you ever been asked more? Like, is that the game that comes up most often when people want to stop and talk to you? Oh yeah, and and it's interesting because. Again, women's hockey, it was in its infancy. And I say, obviously, there was multiple pioneers prior to that. But it being the second Olympic Winter Games and just the whole year that surrounded that team. So for a lot of people and listeners who don't know, we lost eight straight games in that year to the Americans. So heading into the Olympics, we were not the favorite. Um, And so it it just in that game when we had the, the officiating and the constant PK happening, the resounding energy that came off of our bench (laughs) as the game went on, like it was incredible. Like I can't even put it into words how a team in one moment selflessly became a team. Yeah, And it was all about getting out there and just getting the job done. And with every kill, we just got better and we got better. (laughs) And so we changed the momentum of the game by killing those penalties and it was an energy I'll, I'll never forget. I remember coming into the dressing room between the second and third, and we were up by a goal because we'd scored with one second remaining in the second period. And, and I mean, we're all going nuts. We're like, it's over. Like, we've won. First time we've led all year against the Americans. And one of the athletes in our room stood up and just started yelling at us all, like, sit them down. We have, right? And just lost it. And we had a code word that's now inscripted in our gold medal rings. And she started screaming it at the top of her lungs. And we all settled in. And then we won. And we won. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've never watched the game again, Matt. Really? No. I've watched it like uh, three dozen times, I bet you. <laughs> no. And, and people always ask me, like, hey, what was it like? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well... I don't really know. And they're like, excuse me. And I'm like, I, I kind of, I was in such a mode until like the last minute I was on the ice and there was a face off and we were up a goal and I came out of my bubble and I crapped my pants. But no, I, <laughs> I, I just said to myself, I don't want to watch it again because think about, think about in our line of work now, like what do we do? We, we watch 
I go over almost every game I call or every game I'm a part of. I go back to the last one and I watch it to try and break down to see the trends. That's that's just my thing mm-hmm. because you're analyzing. You're trying to find the flaws or trying to find the things that worked. As an athlete, it was no different. So I would go back, you watch, you'd analyze, and there's always something wrong, right? There's yeah, always something sure. wrong. And so for me, the game was perfect. Yeah. And I said to myself, there's one game I do not need to go back to and critique because in my mind it was perfect and we have a gold medal and I ain't changing that because yeah, <laughs> sure. I will change my viewpoint of the game. I will change it in my lens and I, why, why? Yeah, the, the memories are so amazing. Why would yes. you go back and think about, oh, see, there's a play I blew or something, right? Like you just, yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's nothing more. I don't need to learn anything more in that moment, yeah. right? We got it. We we saw the end result. It's like if you win the Stanley Cup, you're going to go back. You might watch the game, but like you're not doing it so that you can be better that next day, right? right? Like it's it was done. And so I have this formative memory, whether it's real or not. <laughs> I don't know, but I was absolutely incredible in that game in my mind, and it's staying there. It is staying there. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, yeah. yeah, I had a friend in uh, Christmas 2002. There was a DVD that came out that had both the men's and women's gold medal games on it, and uh, she got me that for Christmas that year, and I bet you over the years I probably watched those, like, th- that Olympics, like some of my favorite hockey memories, right? So it was... I uh, remember... I remember I was speaking at an event and not not too long after, I mean, it was within a year, let's say, and I I guess they found the footage of me getting my gold medal mm. on the blue line. So here I am in a room of about a thousand people and they just say, so Cheryl, what did this moment feel like? Yeah. And it was the first time I'd seen it, and I started crying. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm, then the first two rows start crying because I'm crying, and because it's just the emotion of sport sometimes, right. right? We we see it. I mean, you're talking Twitter, or you're talking social. It's because people get emotionally invested in their teams and they're passionate, and which is a great thing. And the sure. hope and optimism it brings. We just sometimes have to curb <laughs> the the toxic side. But <laughs> but no. I, so here I am crying in front of a I don't know corporate group i'm like i'll just see myself out they're like no it's okay it's all right yeah so yeah. the the canadian national women's team has obviously done that a few times it was vancouver 2010 there was the amazing yeah. game in 2014 in, in russia you move on you start doing the broadcast thing as as all these moments are happening you're a part of some of them on the the on the ice you're a part of some of them in uh, in the broadcast booth can you be honest, like in those moments where you can see that there is a passion for women's hockey and could you have ever actually believed that we would be sitting here this year and you would be doing games that are in like selling out buildings for professional women's hockey? Like whether you believed the passion was there or not, did you believe the league would come someday? You know, it's a tough question because when I played you know, I played with the Toronto Arrows when I was when I was young and worked my way up into you know to the national team. And I think I always wanted, but I never dreamed that it would be like this. Like it, it really did, and I, I've said it, and it sounds cheesy as anything, but it really felt like an impossible dream. Like <clears throat> the the parody we had when we were young and we were playing and it was awesome. And and going into my first world championship where I could actually look up and wave at my parents and find them because I knew exactly where they were sitting because, right. Just because the crowd spoke for itself. 
and then you know you walk through it and then and you start to see the growth of the game and the women and how much stronger they were getting and and the commitment to their training and the development and you know the skill development and the shots and the sticks changing and so now you start to see the game evolve and and I was waiting and then of course you know you, you thought after an olympic winter games with all the eyes on it millions of people watching okay it's time it's time and then it doesn't happen so to be honest with you Matt I, I shouldn't say I was absolutely pissed off the last few years yeah. that it hadn't happened um and the talk and all of the 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 wording around it and nothing happening and so now to have it happen to have and I'm not just talking young women, like I'm talking boys, dads, girls, mm-hmm. uncles, aunts, grandmas. I mean, I have run into more people in the building, whether they're NHL fans, whether they're, they've got daughters, whether they're, they're just supporting the women, whether they feel like they wanted to buy a ticket because they know the journey that the the game has been on yeah uh, i mean we're talking all facets well, i went over to the ottawa home opener i took my mom and my sister got them tickets for christmas and we went over and had a great time and the number of people that i got replies from on twitter that are just just people just guys i know from hockey twitter that's just like no it's you know looking forward to a game to go to whether they took their daughters or not it was just good hockey let's go check it out right like it, it, it was such a cool vibe to be there like well, and there's such an energy around it, and and you hope that it doesn't dissipate. It might a little bit, just obviously novelty, but I think you know there's a holding to it. There's there's a glue, there's a stick. Because every time I've been walking into the building, whether I'm on the call or not, it's it is it's an energy. And I mean, I go to the rink. I'm still coaching, and they're talking about it with this game at Scotiabank on the 16th. Mm-hmm. I mean, my my team sending me notes. Hey, Coach Charles, can you get us group tickets, or do we need to get on before noon today to make sure we get in? And so, you know, that's that's a vibe that I think is 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 pretty apparent and awesome. And uh, for me, just having the people who are starting to know the names of these players and and identify with them. And then you're getting the young players. And, and I know we talk about the young and the youth and the next step. I'm just excited also for the current group who've been putting their careers right. on hold for years for this to happen. And, and where I think a lot of people who haven't been in the game and haven't fully, you know, had, had their fingers in on the the pulse or the landscape of it is so many women have had to leave the game before they've hit their prime. So coming out of college, whether it's youth sport or NCAA and they're staring, whether they don't have, you know, they're just looking and saying, you know, maybe I'm going to have to go find a job. I have an education and I'm going to go work. And so we've lost a lot of players. And I do believe women peak later in age. I I, I will always say it's your formative, your strongest birth, birthing years. I always say <laughs> after I had my, my first child, I was my strongest. No question about it. After you've gone through that, you, you'll know what I'm thinking about. So, and so coming back even stronger. And so I feel like they, they do, um, they do hold into later years where they're in their prime. And so you're in and around 29, 30 and, and the women, some, a lot of them have had to stop playing. And so, so now I think we're going to see the trajectory even change. So you're playing at school and now all of a sudden you're on the ice every day. Well, now what it continues and you continue to grow. So that's just going to change um, the skill again. It's going to get it to another level. And so for me, I'm, I'm really excited to see that. Well, we're about a month into the season now, and coming into it, like we all knew from Olympic Games, from World Championships, we all knew the Hillary Knights or the Marie-Philippe Poulins or the Sarah Nurses, right? I'm curious, 
Who are some players that have you've noticed early on in the season or that you think we should be keeping an eye on that maybe don't have kind of the that marquee brand from the Olympic Games? Players who this league has been like their first chance to get onto the big stage. Who should we be looking at and who stood out to you? Well, I think there's there's so many. Uh, and that's that's the wonderful thing. I mean, I could walk through every every team in this league and I could pinpoint at least a couple where I'd be like, hmm, they should be on radar. And so for me, that's telling. That's telling to evaluation. It's telling to have these games best on best go head to head where all of a sudden now you're seeing someone like a Flaherty out of Minnesota going to the rivalry series or or whether it's Tabin or Murphy out of Montreal, mm-hmm. right? So now you're, you know, you're not just looking at Poulin, but you're saying, oh my gosh, so Poulin's got six goals and an assist. Uh, hmm, Murphy's got a goal and six assists. This is interesting. <laughs> we've never been able to, in the last two, three, four years, we've not been able to find a left winger for MPP. Hmm. Well, let's give this a whirl. Right. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you got Anne-Renee Debian in net, who's one of the if not the best goaltender in the world, truly nine six two save percentage mm-hmm. on the same team, right? Yeah. So now you're going Sophie Shirley uh, out of Boston. I love the way she plays. I mean, you can see her creativity, and I think that Canada does have a lot of that drive ice player, and so I think they need a more of a creative player who takes the puck outside versus just towards the net. And so, you know, is she going to be one that you're going to look at, or Rebecca Leslie out of Toronto, who's arguably been one of their best players in my opinion so now you're you're looking at the landscape of of all of these athletes and the next wave coming in coming out of college watch out yeah, watch out yeah. right sarah Fillier yeah playing alongside <laughs> maggie connors at princeton well connor's going to the rivalry series for canada right so you know now we're starting to see the change and and now everyone watching is going who who are these women wow they can play we're like yeah because it's, it's not just about the Team Canada players who are on the current roster. We've always had uh, a pool of depth that could step in. I remember playing, and I forget what year it was, they put a select group of Ontario athletes together, the ones who did not make Team Canada, mm-hmm. and we played them as Team Canada, and we lost. Wow. Now, this is, I mean, this is years ago. Sure. But again, it's showing you know, the depth. And so perhaps it's going to be looked at differently. Perhaps the depth chart's going to change. And so this is, but this is good for the game. Mm -hmm. It's good to have that kind of lens on it because evaluating best on best and watching game in game out is critical. And it's, it's different. It's different than just, you know, a five, six game series where you're playing for Canada, playing with all great players who, you know, the first few games are, are, you know, blowouts. And then you hit, you know, the, the, the tough rounds and what it looks like. So I think this is, I think this is critical piece and we're seeing it up and down. I'm telling you, every time I do a game, I mark a player and I'm like, Hmm, wow. Yeah. Well, so exciting. It really is. And a large portion of our listenership is right here in Ottawa. So I want to ask you about them specifically and coming into the season, we knew about your mash Myers. We knew about Emily Clark, right? We, we know about Brianne Jenner, but Early on, and they've juggled the lines a bit since, but early on, they were running a third line of Marezova, uh, Daryl Watts, and Akani Shiga. And there were games where yeah. I thought that was maybe Ottawa's best line. Best line. Like, they were mm-hmm. they were flying together. Like, what have you seen out of Ottawa so far? They've got a couple of overtime losses, um, you know, and they've, they've played fewer games than everybody else. They had one postponed there with Boston. But what have you seen out of Ottawa so far? Well, yeah, I mean, you said it. You've mentioned the players, obviously, that were already known coming in. You have a Gia, Alexia Gia as well, that mm-hmm. I think has has 
done a phenomenal job. And, and I do believe that Carla McLeod is, is a magnificent mind. So she will keep them connected. I think there's a, anytime there's, there's a learning curve when you, when you bring a group in together and, and think about it for a second, you went into a draft as a manager, general manager, and as a head coach with a blank slate. So now you brought all these players together and now you got to connect them. So her Czechia players like Morazova, even Taralova on the back, and keep your eye on her number two because she's got subtleties to her game. She's finding it right now, but she is she is an excellent defender. And so she's just going to improve um, on this stage as well. But for Akane Shiga, and I was talking to Carla about her and she said, it's funny, in practice, I mean, she just scores goals. Like she's in and around the net. She puts it in. She she knows the spots to get to. She's not big, but playing for Japan, she's found ways and pockets to score against the United States. Right. Then you have Daryl Watts. Daryl Watts, who really hasn't gotten a whole heck of a sniff with the national team, but you're talking about a player who was the best player in the NCAA as a freshman. I mean, the, the woman scores goals. Her shot, um, she's got uncanny speed that you, I don't think we've seen her greatest bursts yet. Uh, and Carla will work on that urgency, but if she can get the shot off, she's going to start putting the puck in the net because guess what? There is a natural goal score. And when you find a natural goal score, like a Lauren Gable or her, you work with them, right? <laughs> you work with them. And because that's a sleeper player who can have an absolute ricocheting effect throughout your lineup. And so I expect that she will change, um, and they've given her a look here recently with Brienne Jenner as well, yes. right? So yeah. yes, and so I think you know you've you've got you've got someone like her as well, and so you know, and Morozova with Czechia, she's she's just got a, a ton of individual talent, and so it's learning to work with a, each other and that connectedness. And so for me, I like Ottawa's back end. I like their goaltending, and so just finding the back of the net a little bit more and pulling themselves away from their opponent quicker. Um, kind of, you know, having that sort of killer put them down yeah. instinct. Um, but overall, I think this is a team that you've got to keep your eye on. And I think that the Ottawa market should be very, very excited about them because Carla wins. And, and you know, it, it's just, I, I mean, it, it's like anything when you win it, when, when someone asks you, you know, what do they bring? She wins. Like, right. So I, I don't know what else to say. She wins. She knows how to win. She knows how to, to lead teams uh, to, to sort of that, that area where, you know, you're going to be pushing. So I, I have a firm belief in, in Ottawa and in what that franchise is going to look like in the future. So one, uh, there is another hockey team in Ottawa that is struggling to find these wins that you're, uh, you're <laughs> speaking of. It's not been a great season for the senators, but you know, they've made a couple of moves here, uh, in the management. They've made a couple of moves on the coaching staff, Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson coming in. I'm curious, when you look at the Senators and and the last month or so since they made the coaching change, maybe a little longer than that, have you seen any signs of life? Have you seen them kind of turning it around and get you know guys learning to play a little more disciplined or a little more in a system? Or you know, obviously at this point the season is is lost, but have you seen things that they can build upon here? Yeah, I, I have, and I do think that there's a, a better structure to their game. 
Uh, in particular, I, I've liked, and, and again, I'm, I'm fortunate to be privy to a lot of the sport logic data and stuff. And again, my eye, I don't, I don't live and die by it. Uh, you know, but again, it's, I look for trends. And so when I go back and watch, I do look at where their F3 is in the offensive zone. Um, and that, that really matters to me. So they're high forward, uh, when they don't have the puck and they're in transition. So are they above the options so that they can help? Because a big thing for me has always been with Ottawa is off the rush. So we see the lost coverage in zone and then the slot open up and some point blank chance. And we talk about goaltending and how the coverage has really scared right. off goaltenders <laughs> and all those kind of things. But I, a lot of the time, I think it does start off the rush with over tracking, not communicating, not picking up the right player. And then all of a sudden a shot comes off and then you're lost and it's chaotic in your own zone. So I feel like when I, even when I look at the numbers and um, I forget uh, be, before Nashville, um, the two games that they had, had played was Rangers in Boston. They, I mean, I think they gave up three rush chances. So there wasn't, we were seeing, we were seeing improvements there as well. And then once in zone, I do feel like they've tried and they've done better job of shoring up the middle when there's been chaos. Um, A lot of goals, you know, have come up from a little bit further out um, at different times where I'd be like, okay, they were, they were in good position. Goaltenders got to make that save. So there are those instances as well. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's, better attention to that detail. There's better urgency in their first few strides to get to position. Uh, one of my mentor coaches calling it calls it race to position. Um, I think in the past and still now at times, which is frustrating for some players, which I think we question, you know, do you move on from them? Because you, you want to see the race to position because it's the race to position and beating players to the spot that puts you in good position, right. um, whether offensively or defensively. So for me, I, I do think the coaching staff has done a good job. I think they've, it's not about a playoff push. It's about getting them to a position where there will be a better team fundamentally so that they can make the moves they need to make uh, and insert into a lineup that can can win. But I still think the telltale difference is going to be if they can do it when they're under pressure. Because yeah. I, I find there's not a lot of pressure now because... This is the thing every year, right? You fall out of it yeah. early and then you can just kind of, not coast, but the as you said, the pressure is off. And so yeah, you, it's hard to know what you have down the stretch because it's it's just not the same vibe as it would be if you were really there pushing for a spot. Exactly. And even to start a season, because you know, there's a lot of pressure on this ends to, for their starts because yes. they know they've laid an egg the last few years. So, so now it's going to be a, a, a huge amount of pressure on this group to find a way to get wins, no matter how they happen, uh, in, in the first quarter of the season. And so, you know, it's putting those details into their game and their habits. And I've always said, if that happens, you have a guy like Jacques Martin and, and, you know, you've got Alfie with the pedigree and just, just that familiarity, um, in and around the team. And if you have those details that are being expressed and you have, you know, this amount of time to work on them. And if they fundamentally can't figure that out by, you know, that, that the start of next season, then yeah, I think you would be looking at making some changes within your roster. Um, I'm a leaf guy sitting here in the nation's capital. So I don't always have a lot of friends to talk <laughs> about the Leafs with, but I know you're on the panel. You're brave. The t- yeah, exactly. You're brave. <laughs> um, I know you're on, uh, on the panel for the Leafs quite often. And, you know, As we look at this group right now, they're coming off two good wins over Winnipeg, which is no joke, right? The Jets have been good this year. But before that, pretty tough stretch they've been going through. And I'm not sure what to make of this team yet. I I think defensively, they're certainly less sound than they have been in in past years. 
Uh, it's a different makeup. And I think we knew that going in with the types of players they brought in and your Bertuzzi's and your Domi's are kind of guys that are a little less known for their defense and are supposed to put up, you know, maybe help you score a little bit more. And in principle, I really didn't have a big issue with that because in the playoffs, it seems with while the Leafs have this reputation for being built around, you know, all offense, run and gun, they've struggled to score in the playoffs. So I sort of thought, you know, maybe this was the right approach, but it's sort of been up and down. I'm not really sure they've been inconsistent this year. And we are approaching the trade deadline. And I'm curious, when you look at this this Leafs team and what they've done so far this season, does this feel to you like a group that you would go all in on again? Last year, they go out, they get Shen, and they get O'Reilly, and like, like they really went for it and traded a bunch of future assets. And it didn't pan out. They did get by the yeah. first round. It was a pretty low bar yeah. to, to set. Yeah. But uh, they and, did. And, go ahead. Sorry. No, and and I, you know, it's a it's a real tough call. You you know, if you're Trey Living and Shanahan, you've you've got to decide whether this is a group you still got your core pieces there, and whether you think that it's reasonable that they're going to push. But before I get there, and you mentioned that they, you know, it seemed to be a team that couldn't score goals, and I will pose this question as my brain fires away on me: <laughs> Why? Hmm. Well, Why last year goals? in this, and I keep coming back yeah. to that. So people are going to say, oh, yeah, it's not their, the defensive issues. Okay, so why aren't they scoring goals? Because of the other team's defense. Because mm. they're getting pushed further from the net. Yeah. Yeah. So, right? So where there is one, there is another. You know what I mean? Sure. So there's a why. And so oh, that's so they're getting pushed. So it's because of the other team's defense, their buy-in. Uh, you know, less t- time to have the puck on your stick, which makes you a little more vulnerable because you're moving it. So if Marner's looking for Matthews and Matthews is taken away, it's on Marner's stick just a little bit longer. Now all of a sudden he's smoked and it's right. It's yeah, turnover. Yeah. So they're getting pushed. I mean, their, their shots were further out, right? It, that's a testament to someone else's defense. Sure. Yeah. That's an interesting, so yeah. Right. So for me, we always look at it. Okay. Well, it's on the forwards. Well, sure. But how about we give some credit to the other team's defense and protecting, pushing to the perimeter, keeping those shots outside? What are they at now? You know, 30, they, what, the average versus what they were in playoffs. Mm-hmm. So uh, my, my goes to the why. So when I look at this roster, no, they're not strong enough defensively. Right. Well, and last year, like you could see that even against Florida, they couldn't, you know, when you talk about their own D, whether they could defend or not was one thing their D was really struggling to get the puck up to the forwards as well. So, well, like, there's a number of elements that, that all go well, into why Well, defense isn't could, just, right? Right. Defense is with the puck, too. Yeah. So, right? Because it's your transition. So, that's why it's, you know, the old adage, the old way of thinking is, well, it's the, it's the first step to your offense because your first pass is everything. Mm-hmm. So, you, which means you've got to recover a puck quick. Right. You've got to get back to it quick. And so, do you have the foot speed to get back to it? Or do your forward group have the foot speed to be your second layer to be able to recover for you when you've separated. So, you know, there's, there's elements to defense that go beyond, you know, the D go beyond the forwards and it's collective. Right. And so for me, they need a lot of work sort of in that area because you, yeah, you, you know, you get your puck, the puck up to Austin Matthews, you're in a good situation. Right. Right. But are you getting it there enough? in those times. And if you're not, how do you fill that void? And if you can't bring in meaningful, impactful pieces, right? Yep. Which ones are you looking at? What's available? Right. Because you don't have a, a whole lot in your organizational depth chart in terms of the cupboard. No. So, so what are you going to do? But you have your core four 
still. Yeah, are you and willing you to commitment. waste another year of their... So that's yeah, the big question. Yeah. What, what impact piece can you make or can you do if you think that this team that's current, so currently in a wild card, you know, they face some adversity, which is good for them, mm-hmm. including their goaltending. And so do you think yeah. it's worth it? And so that's 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 a question for Shanahan and, and Trey Living to be able to to hammer out, knowing that in the off season is when likely the 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 bigger changes can happen. And if you think you need a reset, it's likely happening in the off season. Uh, last thing for you then on that, I, I want to ask you what you think of Timothy Liljegren specifically, because we've sort of yeah. watched him and some of his underlying numbers. I know, like you said, you have the the access to Sport Logic there, and a, a lot of his numbers suggest. That he's a really good player, but there are moments mm-hmm. where you kind of the eye test fails him a little bit, and you kind of go, you know, I wish you were a little stronger in front of the net there, or you know, there's just been some. Pl- now he is coming off a tough injury. They say that high yeah. ankle sprain can take some time, but he's he's been in the league a couple of years now, and he finds himself getting scratched in the playoffs. So obviously Keith isn't completely sold. What do you think, you know, of him right now, and what do you think his upside is? Is this sort of where he's going to be, kind of a four or five guy, or is there still more there? Do you think? You know, I do think there's a little more there. But if you go back to last year, remember before they had the carousel of defense coming in, mm-hmm. I thought he was playing outstanding. Yeah. Was, or let's, okay, let's, let, maybe not outstanding, <laughs> but no, for, you know, we, we, you know, his potential is closing on the wall. Like I just thought, okay, he's, this is right. And then all of a sudden they started a carousel a little bit, trying yep. to find a right fit in and out of line. And he, yep. I don't know whether it was his confidence, something changed. Which is sometimes you also start making changes at trade deadline that are rentals. Sometimes it changes the the climate of your team too. Yeah. So that's another thing. Whether you you weigh what you're getting from one now, if they get bumped, does it change how they play? You know, not intentionally, mm-hmm. but just does it change? So so that does that does factor in because roles change within the team. And yes, you know, as a professional athlete, you're supposed to handle that. Yeah, but I mean, there's still a human side of performance sure. and it's it's how you're feeling in that moment. So for me, I've seen those glimpses of him where I'm like, I really like his D. Like, I like his defense. Like, I like his closing. I like his separation on the wall. And then there's other times where I'm like, man, you got to be you know, making that first pass better or you've got it right. So uh, uh, the jury's out a little bit for me, but he is, you know, certainly a piece that, you know, you need right now. And you need, if you're late the Leafs to be at his best right now. And so that's, that's, that's an element. That's cer- certainly something, someone who has to be strong. He he has to be strong for this group down the stretch and into the playoffs. Yeah. Well, you look at, you know, Brody's suffering a bit of a fall off here and, yeah, you know, I mean, that's a, Simone Benoit yeah. has been a pleasant surprise, but I don't think you love him playing in your top four. So yeah, Lilligren's well, an incredibly important piece here right now. Well, he's, he's a critical piece of it. Yeah. Right. And so I, I do like, I do think he's got an upside. Um, and you know, that's more like, I always look at like someone like Benoit, I packed him not too long ago when I, when I worked a leaf game, just because the simplicity of the game, like the steer, like really they don't, you don't need magic back there. You need, you need to push, you need to separate, you need to make a first pass. And it's, it's, it's tougher set, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. Right. right? But yeah, I mean, you, if Benoit needs to be a six, seven, yes. Yeah. Right. If you want to be a team, I mean, you look at Colorado's back end, like you look at, you know, it, it's just, when you start to make these comparisons, your the puck has to get into the hands of the forwards, and so, you know, you want guys playing on their onsides too. Right. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, you know, that it's much 
you have a skilled defenseman who's a puck mover, you know, you need them on their own side because they, they're the exit player. They're the, they're making the play up ice. They're quickly getting it off their stick. If it's just a hitter, yeah, maybe just to separate be yeah. on their offside. But I mean, handedness, I, I do think it plays a factor. Yeah, the old, uh, I, I don't know that we ever heard quite as much about it in the market until Mike Babcock got here, and now it's, uh, you know, it's it's very much a thing. We've been building Olympic teams based almost solely on uh, on it, and it's yeah, clearly and, and important. There's a point. Yeah, I mean, there's a point, right? When you've got unbelievable talent, and, yeah. you know, you're not going to, you're not going to pass them up because you, you want them on one side. Like, if you've got the the holy grail and you can choose whatever you want. Sure. But at the end of the day, you know, if there are certain players that just, yeah, if you want them exiting, getting off the wall quickly, making a first pass, getting in the middle of the ice, it's, it's, it's different on your offside. Yeah. Uh, are so. you taking in any of the all-star festivities in Toronto this weekend? Or are you I'm just going to put your sure feet up yet. and I don't relax? I whether yeah. to just turn on my television, crack a beer and <laughs> watch. Like there's something that's highly um, enticing about that. Yes. It's, uh, you know, to just. You're in the rink be- pretty often, I guess. It's. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're coaching yeah, and no, parenting and commentating, and uh, it's a lot of hockey. It's a lot of hockey. I do. I love it, though. I mean, I'm sitting. I, I'm sitting at my desk this afternoon. Right, I'm already working on you know deadline stuff because <laughs> you got to be current and relevant. So it's, yeah, it's work, but you know, it's work that you love to put in. So, um, so yeah, no, it's been great. It's been fun, and I'm gonna. I'm. I'll likely get get uh, down there at some point uh, this week, but uh, my kids are playing too. So right. I can put my coach hat on and my parent hat on, so in and out of out of the rinks. We talked off the top about your busy schedule. I appreciate you finding a little bit of time for me, and I know that uh, you know we've done this remotely a couple times. One of these times when you're in town for the Sens and the PWHL, we'll, we got to get you in here for a pint and a pod. That's how we like to do uh, this. So. Pint and pod, P square. This but sounds right, just right for Pounder. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's Cheryl Pounder from TSN and the PWHL broadcasts. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Matt. There goes Cheryl Pounder. Um, really cool to uh, to talk to her. She's done such a great job here lately and and all over the map, as we talked about off the top, right? She's doing NHL games. She's doing PWHL games. She's doing U18. She's doing World Juniors. Uh, not easy to keep all of that stuff balanced and certainly not easy to have a, a laid-back schedule when that's the case and to find a hole in it. And so we were very glad that uh, that she made the time to come here and do this. Hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. Uh, that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Don't uh, forget, we're going to touch base later this week with Lever Sage. See what uh, what he's found over in Portugal as his European adventures continue, uh, and uh, we'll see what else comes up. You know, always a chance we could do something else here as well. Uh, next week, I think I mentioned on uh, on the last show, Joshua O'Connor is going to be back in here. We'll talk about what might be coming up on a new season of Behind the R. What's going on around the Ottawa Red Blacks as he does all their video work? That's uh, that was fun the last time he was in. Obviously, he does fantastic work, so we'll look forward to talking to him next week as well. And we got tons more great stuff coming up. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing me right now so you don't miss any of it. That's going to do it for today. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. What the hell is that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy?